0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host Steve Mulk and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as geek, podcast fan, comedy lover, lousy writer of personal blurbs. Hashtag C4FKNL. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Emily Lind. Hi. Hello, Emily. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. How are you doing?
0: Oh, look, I'm doing spectacular for what for us is a wonderful Monday afternoon in North America, but for everyone else, apparently is Tuesday, which continues to do my head in, but that's beside the point. In social settings, Emily, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Um, Awkwardly, generally. <laughs> um... <laughs> no, I... I, I tend to just be Emily when I'm meeting people for the first time. I think mm-hmm. mostly because it's not like I'm doing a job that is like my passion or, or something I really think about that like defines me. Yes. So I, I, I say my name and then I, you know, I'll say, oh, I work at a law firm if somebody asks, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: What what do you do for your law firm? I appreciate your job doesn't define you, but it's part of what you do.
1: Yeah, um, I'm a, a senior paralegal at a, a personal injury law firm here in New York. Actually, it's almost everyone else there is Korean. So, and like uh, most of our clients are Korean. So it's wow. been an interesting few years.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. Do you find that there are cultural things that pop up from time to time that you're either unfamiliar with, given that a majority of the people you work with uh, have
1: a different background to you? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen as much with my coworkers as it does some of our clients, especially um, like older clients who have maybe only been in the U.S. for a couple of years. There's a lot more formality um, in Korea, especially when it comes to, Age, age is very important there. Like if somebody's older than you, you address them a different way. You you talk to them a different way, and so that's that's something I just it. it does, I don't want to say it baffles me, but it's very it's very unfamiliar.
0: How is your casual cor- conversational Korean?
1: Oh, it's non-existent. I <laughs> I can I know a few really bad curse words, but other than that, I, it's sort of. I've almost tried not to learn it because I like the fact that I, it means I don't answer phones. It means I don't interact with clients very much. I just, I sit back in my office and most of my phone calls are just to like insurance adjusters.
0: So help me understand for someone that my only experience of lawyers is, you know, better call Saul and Boston legal and all of that sort of stuff. What does a paralegal do?
1: I mean, it varies a lot from from place to place. There Mm -hmm. are there are places where the paralegals are doing a lot of of like research and and drafting motions and things like that. I'm mostly because we we do we do personal injury Mm. and it's just we have a high volume. uh, There's just certain steps you have to do along the way. There's like certain documents that have to get filed with the court that have to get filed with the insurance company. And so there's a lot of, of just drafting of those and they may only take five to 10 minutes a piece, but you're doing, you know, hundreds of cases during a year. Oh, wow. And also I deal with, um, with all the, the settlement stuff. So anything in terms of, of money goes through me, which is, sort of stressful. I don't like being in charge of other people's money.
0: (laughs) I can understand that because I would also expect that some of your settlements would be fairly reasonable in size. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, we have the, you know, the, the average settlement isn't huge, but you know, occasionally you'll, you'll get a check for, you know, half a million dollars. And then I'm like walking to the bank, just thinking, I don't, I don't like this feeling. (laughs) I mean, does not anything's going to happen. It's a check. It's not like I'm walking around with cash. Yeah. But especially because, I mean, you know, if you screw up on a document that goes to court, you fix it. But if you screw up with settlement money, it's it's a very big deal in terms of, of the repercussions of that. So you have to be really careful when you're dealing with somebody else's money. Because the, the that's something the Bar Association you know, keeps a very tight uh, regulations on.
0: Oh, sure. I, I can imagine. And particularly, I, and I'll say this as an Aussie, looking at, again, the American legal system, which I know probably nothing about. In fact, everyone there seems to be really litigious. So, you know, screwing up somebody's settlement money would, to me, sound like just another excuse for a lawsuit.
1: Oh, yeah. there. I mean, I don't know what it's like in, in other, like, practices, in other, like, fields, but... I mean, malpractice suits are, are just starting to happen as a matter of course in personal injury law. What,
0: haven't, haven't America cornered the market on the most insane version of insurance in that, that you can get malpractice insurance?
1: Well, I, I mean, it's not only you can get it. You, you have to have it.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I mean, it's, it's a requirement.
0: You have to have insurance in case you screw up.
1: I mean, yeah, as, I mean, not, I mean, obviously, like, not me personally, but. The, no, the, the company. I mean, the firm. Yes. It's, yeah, the American legal, like, the litigiousness, I mean, being in America and, and, and working in the field, it sort of has become matter of course for me. But then yes. when you step outside and look at it or, or talk to somebody from another country, it, it just all seems crazy. But it's also, you know, it's how I make my living. So.
0: Oh, for sure, yeah. Take the word "seems" out of that statement, and I think you've got a more accurate <laughs> um, situation that's going on there, Emily. It's, it's amazing. So, is this? Well, I ask this question. This is not normally asked it a bit later. Are you doing what Emily, in her senior year of high school, thought she'd be doing?
1: No, I mean it's definitely not what I thought I would be doing. Though, I was in in high school. I thought. I would be going to law school after college. Mm -hmm. And then my senior year of college, actually three days before I was supposed to go back to campus, I realized I didn't want to go to law school. And I remember (laughs) like sitting down next to my dad and just like having a breakdown, just like crying and being like, I don't know what I want to do with my life now. There was the plan and now there's not a plan. And I've always been somebody who wants a plan.
0: You're a planner?
1: Yeah. Like I need I need to know what what's happening next. That's I mean, that's the one thing I like about working in a law firm is, you know, it's a nine to five job. I don't have to worry about, you know, where my where my next paycheck's coming from or anything like that. But at the time, when I realized I don't want to be a lawyer, it was a huge, like, revelation for me. And it was just, like, terrifying.
0: I can imagine. (laughs) If you thought you wanted to be a lawyer that whole time, and then, yeah, I don't want to be a lawyer, that doesn't leave you with lots of, well, I'll become a scientist or something.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, luckily I realized it, an undergraduate and not when I was in law school. Oh, and yeah, so wow. it just, I mean, that would have been, that would have been a much worse thing also in terms of how expensive law school is. Yes. But it did, it did mean sort of just having to reevaluate everything I was, everything I was doing. Cause I'd been planning on law school since probably like my sophomore, year, junior year of high school.
0: So when you realized that the lawyering wasn't for you, What, like, was it a case of, well, I'll do this, or are I still interested in the law. I want to be attached to it?
1: Oh, man. See, that's the problem is I, I, even now, you know, 10 years after graduating college, I still feel like I don't really know what I want to do.
0: (laughs) You'll work it out when you grow up, Emily. Yeah,
1: I know. I keep saying that. But, you know, I try to think about that, but then, you know, (sighs) and that scares me a little bit, but I realize, I mean, my dad didn't become a teacher until he was in his 40s. And so I, I don't think I need to know yet as long as mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm working, I'm paying my rent, I'm putting some money in the bank. Like, like not everybody does their dream job and that's not necessarily a terrible thing if, if you're happy in other parts of your life. Sure. And you know, I, I I still am glad for the experiences I had in college. I was a pol- political science major. I loved it. I wouldn't change that for the world, even though it didn't, you know, end up being my career in any way.
0: Great. Well, this conversation is going to take a very dark turn very quickly.
1: Ah, I shouldn't um, have mentioned politics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 it's, <laughs> it's so <depressing. laughs> It's so depressing for you, or it's so depressing because of the nature of the subject these days?
1: Oh, but the nature of the subject these days. I mean, it's it's terrifying.
0: All right, short answers. Who's going to win?
1: You know, I, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> like, I really, like, I realize that I I just, I I'm so flummoxed that that (laughs) Trump is still around yeah and it's it's so frightening and I'd say the reason it's frightening isn't even so much like it's not his policies although they're terrible but I mean I I mean Cruz has terrible policies I think in a lot of ways is much worse but but the the movement around Trump is so frightening and, and even if, you know, even if he's not going to be president, we have to realize that those people are, are still in our country and they're in our country in much larger numbers than we are comfortable admitting.
0: Is there any key thing that you think Trump's been able to harness with this huge group of disaffected voters?
1: I mean, Fear. I think mostly is, is the big thing. I'm trying to remember where I saw it, but I was, I was reading something that was talking about how, how the, you know, the, the older white males, especially have, and, and I'm talking specifically the older white males who support Trump, because you know, overall, like there have been problems with the economy and problems with unemployment and, mm-hmm. and, and yep. with labor, and because that coincides with a time when <laughs> when women have been getting more rights and 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 people of color have been getting more rights and gay people have been getting more rights, I think <sighs> they see. Um. Not just a correlation, but a causation. Yep. And that's—I mean—it's so false. Yeah. But you can't convince people of that. No. Because they're they're angry and they're scared, and it comes out in in terrible, terrible ways. Oh,
0: and increasingly terrible ways too. I mean, we're recording this the day before the the primaries in, what, Ohio and Florida and a whole bunch of other places, and please correct me where I'm wrong, my perception on just the Republican side of politics at this point is that Rubio and Kasich are still in, they're still hanging in there because the the Republican Party needs them to so that they're stealing votes from Trump so that he doesn't get across the line by the convention so that they can have a contested convention in the hope that the actual candidate they get i.e. anyone but trump gets up
1: um yeah no i think that's right um i mean it's so weird because if you had asked me you know towards i was gonna say towards the beginning of the election season but the election season in the u.s now is basically four years long it Never stops. but the, the downfall of rubio i'm still like stunned by because he seemed at the beginning to be and it sounds laughable to say cuz he's not moderate but the moderate candidate compared <laughs> yes. to all the others yeah and he's he's at least like slightly more likable but then this whole like like robotic thing happened and he just suddenly I mean, and was in free fall
0: i think Trump started to to really pick on Rubio too, didn't he? Like he singled him out above all the other candidates and started to call him out on some of the stuff that he was doing, like just having the you know the two or three sentences on each topic that he would just roll out when prompted and yeah. he never was able to claw back from that
1: no, he just wasn't he didn't he didn't know how to respond to that because. Trump wasn't an, a, a candidate that people were expecting, and and certainly not prepared to deal with that sort of. Well, we call them, them d- debates; they're yelling matches.
0: Opportunities but for bullying.
1: Yes, that's a great way to describe them. I, I like. I got to the point where I, I couldn't watch them anymore. I follow them now, just through Twitter, <sighs> because it's just it's too horrifying, especially as the reality of, of Trump as a nominee sets in. But I... <laughs> the political science major in me is fascinated by what this convention's gonna look like. Yeah. I mean... It's weird to say this. Somebody could get seriously hurt.
0: Physically seriously hurt, yes.
1: Yes! Like maybe not at the convention itself, but we've already had the, these violent incidents at Trump's rallies, yeah. and so, I mean, if he's not the nominee, I I wonder what's going to happen.
0: Can you imagine? There'll be chair turning, chair throwing. This is it, it'll get out of hand.
1: It's it's going to be crazy to watch, and if I could watch it like completely divorced from it? Like if it were just a thing that didn't, like didn't affect my life yes. it, I would be so into watching what happens. Instead, it's just so scary.
0: I, I remember uh the second to last most recent Republican debate. That would make it the tenth held this season. And we've still got more to come, people. It is ludicrous. Um I remember uh, there was uh, just prior to that, um, John Oliver had done this amazing piece, basically debunking Trump,
1: yeah. just
0: pulling apart all of these things that Trump says he's so successful and he does all these things, and just laying out for all to see in that magical way that Oliver and Last Week Tonight does, showing, yeah, well, all these companies are going bankrupt, Trump's stakes are dead, this is dead, that's dead, all of these things. And I don't know whoever writes for Rubio, but they must have watched that and just went, yeah, we'll just use half of that. (laughs) And he started to roll out almost verbatim stuff that Oliver had said Sunday night previous, uh, which has led to some of, I think, the most incredible showmanship that we've seen yet on the entire farce that is the Republican candidacy, where Trump at a press conference had... He moved into prop comedy. Oh, he had I know. the whole, like, he had bottles of water and he had steaks and he had magazines, all these things that Rubio had said that were failures. Here, Here's the latest. I read Trump magazine just on Wednesday. I had, you know, I'm drinking Trump water. Trump steaks are still. And I read an article from someone in the press corps that was there and they said no one called him on it, but none of those things were Trump-branded products. The water was just water from somewhere. The steaks still had the yeah, labels on; they
1: had the labels of the steak company on them. It's
0: yeah, and the magazine was from his resort. It wasn't Trump magazine; it was the resorts magazine, telling you what the hell's going on in the place. Like, what
1: the hell? You know, and I mean, I mean, honestly, if 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 Trump's the nomination, and God forbid if he's the president, the oh, the, the media has played a large part in it. Yes. Because they they spent so long covering him as a joke. Yes. And, the I mean, he's still getting so much more coverage than anybody else. You know, and... Yes. And, you know, like, you see Saturday Night Live is now, like, doing, like, skits, like, calling out Trump on his racism. And it's just like, you had him host your show. Yep. Recently. It's not yes. like it's. It's not like he wasn't racist before this, and they had him on then, and so. And now, just not calling him out on 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 things mm. like that, on things like the water and the stakes and something that's so obvious.
0: And that's the simple stuff, right? That's the easy stuff. Yeah, and it it frustrates. Sorry, I Emily, mean, I was just going to say it frustrates me no end that not one po- not one. Um, again, until recently, not one member of the media has been asking Trump or any of the candidates, how are they going to do these things they're promising? In fact, and this was the ludicrous thing, the 10th debate, the one that we just talked about, hosted by Fox News, they asked some of those questions. How is it that Fox News suddenly becomes the pinnacle of journalism in America by asking the candidates how they're going to deliver their promises? And... The answers were wafer thin.
1: Oh, definitely. But it was Fox News losing their minds over the idea that it might actually be Trump. It's crazy. I mean, I've... I, I've never seen an election like it. I've never studied an election like it. It's just... It's so bizarre. And yeah i mean when when you have the like presumptive nominee on stage alluding to the size of his penis
0: oh it's, it's so depressing
1: <laughs> i mean that's it's the thing about Trump is that 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 ego is so just insane like the nobody ever told me i have tiny hands before people say i always said you have the most beautiful hands like because that's always it always the best the most Mm. beautiful the biggest
0: yeah brand trump is strong this election isn't it oh my god i i am continually amazed by the circus that seems to be flying around in the midst of this. And it's not going to uh, stop anytime soon, is it? It's, it's great. I thought for a second, we had some hope in that the best way to beat a bully is for a bully to out themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when they've got the surety of someone like Trump, they can bully, but they do it in subtle and acerbic and uh, you know, the kind of ways that make people think, oh, aren't they so funny? Aren't they? Isn't he telling the truth? It's so direct. Uh, And the best way to get them to expose themselves is for them to lose their cool because when they lose their cool, all of the facade drops and you see them for the person full of hate that they are. And I thought that it wasn't Ruby, it was Bush. The last last, uh, debate that Bush was in, he was just there niggling and picking and just twisting and biting and, and all of the things that you want. And I thought Trump was going to lose his cool, and he nearly did, but he managed to keep it in because the moderators rained Bush in.
1: Yeah, it's – and now it's to the point where uh, I don't think it matters at all anymore because nope. his supporters will not like care. that he's a bully. Yeah. They 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 like that he's, he's this loud – pompous I, well bigot there's no other word for it yeah it'll be I mean I don't know it's so I mean I it's like if I were if I were watching a TV show I would be thinking well this is just dumb. Like, this, like I've seen the plots on, on House of Cards seem more realistic oh, than some of the yes. stuff that's happening in this election. And even this
0: season of House of Cards, where season four, it's gone just a little bit on the crazy side, but, you know, mirroring the way that they write so wonderfully, mirroring elements of reality, there's stuff that's going on in that we go, you know what, let's replace uh, Frank Underwood with Donald Trump, and we're not too far from how he's actually going to play some of this. I know, it's sort
1: of like... I, I watch House of Cards and I go. I mean, maybe I'd just rather have an outright murderer be president oh. than.
0: <laughs> yeah, will will Kevin Spacey stand for the Democrats and see what happens? All of a sudden becomes a Frank Underwood v. Uh, Bernie Sanders v. Hillary Rodham Clinton vote. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, speaking goodness. of which, who's going to take that out? Is it going to be Hillary all the way? It's just almost a fate complete.
1: I I think it's almost certain. Um, it's not what I hope for. Uh, she's much too centrist for my preference, mm. and and also just too much of a politician. Yeah. But I'm not. Look, I mean, I'll vote for her, and I, I wouldn't, Emily, I wouldn't hate her as a president.
0: Emily. If she becomes the Republican, uh, sorry, the Democratic nominee, you have to vote for her. Oh no!
1: Of it's course, not even well. It's like, yeah. but
0: the world, the rest of the known living universe, will just demand that people vote for Hillary because the other option is unconscionable.
1: the The question would be, what happens if Hillary gets the nomination? What Sanders does if he oh. if he drops out or if he decides to run as an independent,
0: could he come onto Hillary's ticket as VP or is that out of too outrageous? I
1: I don't think he'd do it. Um, I I think it's been so contentious. Um. I think they're they're too disparate when it comes to uh, well especially the economic stuff. I mean the things yeah. that that Sanders has said throughout this um, that the primary season, I think it would be very difficult for him to to take that without seeming like he's betraying the people who voted for him.
0: Welcome to the unknown spin-off of G'day Patriots, the <laughs> Australian American politics podcast. Big shout out to those guys. They're awesome. Emily, this, we seriously, we could talk for hours about politics and probably it would be safest if we want to learn more about you that we don't.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Um, thank you so much, however, for sharing even just all of that. And I'm sorry to have interrupted because we hit, like, we can talk after this for another couple of hours about the whole American political thing. It's crazy.
1: So what else? what else do you want to know about me?
0: I'm intrigued, Emily, by your comedy fandom. Given that uh, you, as you said, you work in uh, the, the East Coast of America, you work in New York, yes, yes, uh, as a paralegal. Yet you have very uh, a very close affinity with the Australian comedy scene. What what bore that in you?
1: You know, it's interesting. It's actually, I I know more about like the Melbourne comedy scene than I do about the New York comedy scene. <laughs> Um, and it's it's well, it's a combination of podcasts and Twitter. Sure. Um, I I started to get into podcasts um, five or six years ago, listening to the now sadly dead uh, American podcast "Walk in the Room," mm-hmm. and they
0: it's a gateway drug.
1: It is, and they would always talk about about Toefop, <laughs> Will Anderson and Charlie Clausen's podcast. Yeah. So then. I started listening to that. Um, Walking Room had also had Justin Hamilton on as a guest, so I started listening to his stuff. And I think, partially because of how close the podcast community seems to be there, it's sort of easy to start listening to one podcast and then find that you're listening to fifteen of them.
0: <laughs> By close, you mean incestuous?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably the word. Like I, um. Like I was listening to Top I was listening to, to to Hamos, and then I saw that Will and and Justin were on. I think it was like the second live episode that uh, I Love Green Guide Letters did. Yes, and I was a little, I was a little wary to get into that one because it's you know it's about, um you know, Australian television. At least yes. that's what it's you know theoretically about.
0: The premise, yes. But
1: I listened to it, and I I just automatically fell in love with it, and I started to listen to back episodes, and and I I just the guests that Steele have on, you know, suddenly it's weird because that's my introduction to like major names in Australian comedy, mm-hmm. like it's the yeah. first time I ever heard Lawrence Mooney, it's yeah. you know it's the first time yeah. I heard Greg Fleet who I've actually, because of Twitter, become really good friends with. And it also, you know, I, I, I mean, is it a requirement that Australian comedians have podcasts? Because <laughs> 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 half the guests are talking about their podcasts and then, you know, I'm listening to Dum to Dum Club, I'm listening to, yes. to all these other things. And I mean, I love it. I mean, I think especially because I work at a desk job where... I mean, I don't, I don't have to deal with, with phone calls very often, so I can just listen to stuff throughout the day Mm. and podcasts are a better distraction for me than music, but they're not so distracting that I can't get my work done. Yes. So they're a good balance. But I, I think also like Twitter was a big part of it because there are people who are very, um, interactive with their listener base.
0: Yes. Very and, much so,
1: and so I think that's been. It, it makes it more than just something you listen to. So, but also not even just connecting with like the hosts, like you know, like talking to Steve or talking to to Tommy or or somebody on Twitter, but also talking to other fans. Mm. And a, I mean, that was largely um, walking the room because they had such a, a close knit community, but also like through ToFOP and stuff. I've just like randomly started to talk to people on Twitter who I'm now really good friends with. Um, actually, my, my best friend, Mel, who lives in Adelaide, I met because she tweeted me after Justin Hamilton mentioned me on one of his podcasts a couple times. I think because he was amused that he had a listener in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and so she just, she decided that, oh, if Justin mentioned me, I'd be worth looking up. Yep. And now I'm, you know, I'm planning on going to Australia next year to go to her wedding and be oh, one of her that's bridesmaids. So awesome. And, you know, I started, <laughs> I started talking to Greg Fleet because I had heard him on a couple podcasts and I thought he was funny. And I got uh, his his first book, Tie Dye, mm-hmm, and I tweeted yes. about it. And he started to follow me on Twitter. And I was. <laughs> It's it's sort of embarrassing. I immediately, like, freaked when he started to follow me. Because I'm like, I, I, what? He's going to read my tweets. I have to tweet, like, smart or funny things.
0: Emily, he was probably only after 20 bucks.
1: <laughs> yeah. At the time. Oh, God, he's
0: cleaned up a bit now.
1: No, he's, he's doing really well right now. But, you know, I, then I, I had tweeted something about Bob Dylan, and it turns out he's a huge Dylan fan. So we Christ. started talking about that and then we started talking about our shared love of the show Deadwood and the next thing I know like we're emailing each other and I I ended up um like doing like some like read-throughs of his book while he was writing it and like sending oh, him uh, yeah, and I was like sending him suggestions and he was asking for notes and it was so through hearing him on I love Green Guide Letters, just thinking, oh, that's a funny guy to suddenly, you know, somebody who I'm really excited to meet, either when I go to Australia or, I mean, he keeps talking about coming to New York, we'll see, it's fleety, who knows what's actually going to happen. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's not even like, all the other stuff, because I think, you know, he really is doing well right now. Mm -hmm, But in terms of of planning, it's not (laughs) the most reliable
0: Oh, no, God, no, that's a fair statement. And I, I say that with love for Flea. I have, I've met him a couple of times, uh, and he is a, a wonderful, whimsical chap who can get fairly serious, but yet planning isn't something that he does well.
1: No, and so you just you sort of have to learn to, to accept that with him. But God bless him because he's, I mean, really, he's been somebody I can talk to when I've been going through like some fairly like dark stuff. Mm. And so I I mean I just I, I love the man. And you know, it's weird because whenever I hear people talking about how, how frivolous Twitter is, I just think you're you're following the wrong people. Hmm. Like I have people who I'm friends with like across the country now who I've never met. I've people who I consider friends in New Zealand and like several in Australia and in the UK, people who I know if I ever need real help from i can reach out to
0: yeah what an amazing community you've built around yourself emily
1: i i've always you know i've always had an internet community um starting from i mean when we first got internet in my house really before it was even world wide web all like text based because my dad was was going back to to college at the time, mm-hmm. so he like he had to have it from some class he was taking, and suddenly I found people online talking about Star Trek, and I was like a really nerdy little kid, and I <laughs> love Star Trek, and I didn't have anybody to talk about Star Trek with, but suddenly there are these all these people online who also love it, yep, and that sort of evolved throughout my life and it's always it's mostly been through fandoms whether it's it's star trek or or Battlestar galactica or now like comedy but people who you start talking to just because you have some shared like interest but then it expands and suddenly these are are real people who really matter to your life in significant ways
0: that's that's so very cool i do love the the recollection or the you know, the story that you're coming to Adelaide to come and be a bridesmaid for uh, a friend that you've made online through, through Twitter. That's It'll so be great. it the first
1: time we meet. It's very strange.
0: <gasps> wow. Yeah. Have you Skyped or anything?
1: No. Like we mostly, I mean, we talk basically every day, but it's mostly through um, like Twitter or, or Facebook Messenger.
0: Yes. So, no, there's other than pictures, there's been no moving images with voices put together?
1: Uh, not at the same time. We send each other videos occasionally. <laughs> that's great.
0: Wow. Emily, that's also very, very cool. Can you tell me, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months?
1: Oh, boy. um, I would like to... I mean, I know we were talking earlier about me thinking that it's okay to not know yet what I want to do when I grow up you know, currently 32 is not grown up, but I would like to have some better idea. I want a goal. And it's weird that my goal is to have a goal. (laughs) That's excellent. That that doesn't sound great. I realize... (laughs) but i would like to figure out what it is that i really want to do with my life
0: you have to start somewhere
1: (laughs) and also i just i want to get outside of my comfort zone a little bit more um i'm very socially awkward like i i have to tell you i was i barely slept last night thinking (sighs) about doing this podcast because no, 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 no. Not, and not and it's not even or it's not like I thought you'd I don't know it's not like I thought you'd be mean to me or anything like you're asking me to be on your podcast but I I get so in my head about anything like that and so like making myself go through it like throughout the day I'm like maybe I could just text him and tell him that I'm sick oh. and <laughs> and I'm really glad I didn't Yes, so am I. Once I do the thing, I genuinely enjoy it. But it's, you know, and partially, partially, that's. I mean, it's, you know, it's social anxiety disorder. It's, it's goes along with depression. It's just one of those things. Mm. Um. So maybe to to do things that I'm a little scared to do, um, I'm going to try to get out to LA Podfest. <gasps> yes. Which would be tons of fun. And there's people there I want to meet. Like people who I know through Twitter. And it, yeah. it's, it's a little bit like... It becomes a thing in my head where doing anything like outside of my routine is terrifying. But I'm like, no, it's worth it. Because last September I didn't do it. And I was just sad. Like watching the live streams being like, man, I wish I had done that. And I want to have less of those moments. I want to sure. have... I want the next year to have less regret about things that I didn't do
0: I can totally understand that I tell you what Emily, let's make a deal okay I I love going to LA Pod Podfest as well, I missed last year because it just didn't work in my calendar I'm hoping above hopes that this year it, I can pull it off and, and make it happen I am yet to do a repeat episode or, you know, a follow-up episode with anybody in Humans of Twitter. But how about let's aim that not only do we meet at at Podfest this year, but I sit down and you become our first follow-up episode because we've barely scratched the surface of the Emily story. We talk politics (laughs) for (laughs) for far too long. And then we got into comedy. And, sure, these are both, you know, things that you're interested in but we didn't learn a whole bunch about you. Would you be up for that?
1: No, I think that sounds like a plan.
0: Spectacular. Plus, if nothing else, I can connect you with some other great people that you may not know. And I can take you to some really cool places to eat out and about around the joint.
1: Okay. That sounds good. That's, that's a lot of incentive.
0: Cause the hotel food's really expensive. Like really expensive. It's Beverly Hills.
1: Oh yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a, that's a plan. I'm, I think that's a deal
0: done done and locked it in done people what a time we've had emily thank you so much for this chance to chat with you it's been really wonderful please know that everything that you've shared is very special and you're highly valued thank you so much thank you absolutely wonderful now very clearly you're on twitter emily are okay. there any other social accounts you want to admit to
1: um i'm on like i'm on instagram but i don't really use it much um it's the same it's the same username um I mean I I guess you could always look me up on Facebook if you really wanted to I generally like accept friend requests and it's just Emily Lind I don't have any numbers or anything after it because I got it really early
0: are there many other Emily Linds out there
1: uh there are a lot apparently
0: look at you snatching it out of the clutches of all of the
1: other E-Linds Yeah, like the number of emails I get for other Emily (laughs) Lynn's would suggest that there's a lot of people who either don't know their own email address or really like to use mine just to, I don't know, be dicks.
0: Or just use it as a, a, you know, a dud one so that they can get past whatever thing was asking for their email address.
1: Yeah, I get lots of um, wedding signups. Which is always, and they're almost impossible to get off the mailing list once you're on them.
0: Oh, I hate those. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that F Lind is indeed human.